Hallelujah. Well, thank you for Nathan. Thank you for the words you put on his heart for us this morning. And Holy Spirit, we just pray. And as Nathan speaks, you will just enlighten our hearts to receive the words that he brings. That these words will come with power and authority. That they bring change in lives this morning. We want to see people released. We want to see people come to a new place of understanding, a new place of freedom. Father, I pray that you would work this morning um, uh, through, through Nathan as he speaks to us. Amen. 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 Thank you very much. Now we're trying a new time, Mike, so uh, bear with us. If it is unbearable for this new time, Mike, we'll change the handheld. I'll tell you once test me, actually, I can come up earlier. I'll come up now, see. So, um, just a little story. Yesterday I was in the park with my son um, at a skate park. He'd been begging to go to the skate park all day, so I gave in in the afternoon. And um, there's another little lad there, 10 year old, um, skating. I noticed he had. Patches on his arm and on his back, and he kept, he kept falling off all these uh, kind of uh, it was like bandage and stuff. Anyway, I just felt for this guy because um, um, so I started to talk to his dad, and uh, it turns out he's got type one diabetes that he's had for two years. And uh, halfway through, while he was skating, he had to rush off home. He was having a hypo, and then he came back. He stuffed some jelly babies in or something. So I just said to him, "Look, can I pray for your son?" I'm a Christian, I believe Jesus comes today. And so I just prayed for his son there and then. So I don't know what's going to happen. But I just want to tell you. I want to tell you that really because I don't want to put myself on a pedestal on this at all. It's scary, isn't it? But actually what I found, the more you do it, the easier it becomes. I just felt a real ease about doing it. And so I just want to encourage you, keep going with it. Um, when you're kind of in the presence of God, fear just is dispelled and you have a boldness and so just go for it um, I will continue to pray for this little boy Timmy and pray that he's healed and he doesn't have to keep worrying about his uh, blood sugar levels um, so yeah just shout with you okay right are you all relaxed I want you to be relaxed I don't want anyone here to be tense I want you to receive what's a move that way that better I'm relying on you guys. If it is not working, let's change the mic. Yeah, okay. So, um, yeah, I just want you to be relaxed. I want you to not be tense. I want you to be able to receive everything that God's got for you this morning. Um, we're going to start with just a little uh, little game. I'm going to have a little game with my daughter. She's going to willingly come forward. <laughs> race forward. Okay. You may recognise this game, okay? Jesus' blood. Why? So we can know 
his indwelling presence. It's his good news. Amen. So, we'll be going through this series. with the third one in into this series of looking at Jesus through the Old Testament. So far we've looked at Jesus in the Passover sacrificial lamb, which I spoke of. And Matt last week spoke of the rock of Horeb, from which living water flowed. Today we're looking at Jesus, our mercy seat. Last week, actually, Matt mentioned the mercy seat, and he encouraged people to come forward. So I thought it would be just good to unpack that a little bit more, so we can have a bit of a better understanding of what this mercy seat is. So, the passage I'm going to look at comes after uh, the bit where the Israelites have been protesting about there not being any water, and then they struck the rock and that horrible water flowed out. And a little bit later, Moses went up Mount Sinai and uh, was given the Ten Commandments and various other laws. And then, from that place on the mountain, God spoke to, Matt, to Moses. And uh, we'll pick up the passage in Exodus 25, verses 8 to 22. So it was on the mountain, while Moses was in this cloud, in the midst of God's presence, God said this to him. sanctuary, that I may dwell in their midst, exactly as I show you concerning the pattern of the tabernacle and all its furniture, so you shall make it. They shall make an ark of acacia wood, two cubits and a half shall be its length, a cubit and a half its breadth, and a cubit and a half its height. You shall overlay it with pure gold. Inside and outside, you shall overlay it. And you shall make it a moulding of gold around it. You shall cast four rings of gold for it and put them on its four feet. Two rings on one side of it and two rings on the other side of it. You shall make poles of acacia wood and overlay them with gold. And you shall put the poles into the rings on the sides of the ark to carry the ark by them. The poles shall remain in the rings of the ark shall not be taken from it, and you shall put into the ark the testimony that I shall give you. You shall make a mercy seat of pure gold. Two cubits and a half shall be its length, and a cubit and a half its breadth. And you shall make two cherubim of gold, of hammered work, you shall make them. On the two ends of the mercy seat they will go. Make one cherub on one end and one cherub on the other end. Of one piece of one piece with the mercy seat shall you make the cherubim on its two ends. The cherubim shall spread out their wings above, overshadowing the mercy seat with their wings, their faces one to another. Towards the mercy seat shall the faces of the cherubim be. And you shall put the mercy seat on top of the ark, and in the ark you shall put the testimony that I shall give you. There I will meet with you, 
and from above the mercy seat, from between the two cherubim that are on the ark of the testimony, I will speak with you about all that I will give you in commandment for the people of Israel. So it's quite a lengthy, detailed passage there. Um, it's basically a design for the Ark of the Covenant, of which the mercy sits on top. Now this is part of an even bigger plan, which I'll go into a little bit more detail. So this describes something of the tabernacle, which is a, a kind of like a portable tent system, which God instructed Moses to build and transport when the Israelites wandered around the desert for 40 years around the wilderness. They started their escape from slavery in Egypt. And um, I guess it might seem a little bit odd to us, the whole description, the whole idea of this portable tent system. But in the Bible, it, it kind of gives over 50 chapters to the tabernacle in the Old Testament. And so, rather than us dismiss this as Old Testament, old school irrelevant, I think we need to look into it and not cross over it and just think we live in a new, new covenant. I think there's some things that we can learn from this reference. I believe our picture of Jesus can go deeper, it can be richer, fuller, and more rounded. And that's what we're doing in this whole series, as we look at Jesus through Old Testament eyes. James Emery White said this, Understanding our day demands understanding the day before. This means history. Why? Because we can avoid their mistakes. We can imitate their wisdom, follow their obedience, learn lessons from these ordinary people just like us. We looked at the ordinary unschooled people of the Acts of the Apostles. These are just ordinary people as well. We want to learn lessons that we too might turn a generation, turn a people and bring them out and deliver them. Yes? Okay. So my first point as we look at this whole subject, we will get to the mercy seat, but I'm going to look at what this mercy seat signifies. And for me, largely, it is about the presence of God. This is where the presence of God hovered over this seat. And the people here are a presence-centred people. And that is what we are. We can have a look at a picture of the camp that they set up. Um, there's a few slides. At the centre of this tabernacle camp. And the next slide, this is the tender. That is where the Ark of the Covenant was held, in that bit where the covered cloths over the top, right in there, and it was called the Holy of Holies right within that sanctuary. It was here that God said, let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell in their midst. This was the purpose, that he would dwell in their midst. And it was at the mercy seat where he said, there I will meet with you. 
So while they're all in their wilderness, they encamped around this tent. They encamped around the tabernacle. So what can we learn from this? I, I think there's a couple of things. Firstly, God meets people where they are. God will meet you where you are. If you feel like you're in a desert, he will meet you where you are. He didn't expect all the tribes to ascend the mountain to be with them, like Moses. He didn't expect them to all climb the hill. He came down, and he continues to come down to us in our circumstances. So that's the first thing about it, us being a presence-centered people. The second thing, the presence of God was their, distinct, their distinctive their distinctive feature, and it should be the same for us. In Exodus 33, let me read something, a familiar passage with some, I'm sure. It says this, Exodus 33, 15, And he said to them, this is Moses, If your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. For how shall it be known that I have found favour in your sight, I and your people? Is it not you? You're going with us, presence, so that we are distinct, I and your people, from every other people on the face of the earth. This was their distinctive feature from all the other big groups, the tabernacle, the presence of God in amongst the camp. This is what distinguished them from everyone else. This should be their one distinction feature for us. Moses also said in Exodus 3, 12, do you remember the bit where he says, who am I? Who am I to go? Now, God didn't turn around to him and say, Moses, you are amazing. You are handsome. You are gifted. Look, you're so talented. You're a wonderful, wonderful man. You must go. What did he say? He said, I am with you. I'm with you. And that was his key distinction from everything else. And I guess for many of us we ask the same question, who am I? Who am I? Please this morning, hear God's response to you. I am with you. I give you your identity from your relationship with me. I am with you. Ask yourself, what is your most distinguishing feature? I don't think of physical features here. Hear what I'm saying. What is your most distinguishing feature? Is it the presence of God is with you? Another point. God initiates his presence. He initiates his presence. He gave the plan. Why, why is this important? He's made the first move. We don't need to strive or strain. The God of heaven has moved towards mankind. He did this here in this very detailed way. And he continues to do it today. So that's what I'm saying. Don't be tense this morning. Just relax. Because God in his favour, in his love and his mercy, is moving towards us. He's with us. 
I could be so confident that you're with us now. I'm so glad that you're with us. I'm so glad that you're not just having to listen to me and I don't have to rely on my words. I am fully reliant on the presence of God ministering to each of you this morning. Why am I so confident that he's with us? It's his promise to us, isn't it? I will leave you or forsake you. Abide in me and I will abide in you. I will pour out my spirit on all, on all flesh. So, another thing. We are a presence-led people. Within the tent of the tabernacle, in the most holy place, the very presence of God was. It was this presence that led the people. Exodus 40, 38 says this, for the cloud of the Lord was on the tabernacle by day, and fire was in it by night, in the sight of all the house of Israel throughout all their journeys. Throughout all their journeys, it led them. How much is your journey being led by the presence of God? How much is your destination determined by the presence of God? Are you submitting your plans? Are you waiting on that small voice, that prompting that God's supreme leadership and direction? It's very easy to be driven by lots of things in this life. Worldly ambition. Selfish ambition. I want to say very clearly, do not be led by these things. Be led and understand your deepest need for the presence of God to lead you, to guide you. Even Jesus says, can I do what he sees the Father doing? How are you doing being led by the Spirit? Do you acknowledge your need of God's leadership in your life? Finally, as we partner with God on earth, we just need to remember we're seated on the throne of heaven with Jesus. So we don't need to have an intermediary, we need someone to come in between, like in the old covenant. We can have direct access to the King. And this is why I was just felt a boldness yesterday just to pray for this guy. It was I felt, I was just reminded of my position, my identity. I'm not gaining my own strength, I'm just going from that address of being in Christ. So, God has a specific plan for His presence. And we read through that, didn't we? A very specific, detailed plan. You can see from the passage that a precise blueprint and design for the structure of the tabernacle. And that was just one part of the whole overall camp that I read. You can read the rest of it in the subsequent chapters. Why is this important? Because actually there's still only one way. There still continues only to be one plan for his presence to be amongst us. One plan for us now as the container to be ready, to be fit 
for Jesus to come and reside. Jesus is the one true architect of our faith. We need to follow his plan. Now I'm going to come on to it, and this is the gospel. And uh, there's no other plan that will do. They could have drifted away from that plan. I don't think the presence of God would have come if they said, no, I'm going to change the colour of that cloth. No, I'm going to do it differently. I think that would look better there. We have fun moving this river around, by the way. We don't know where we've got it off to. But uh, I'd imagine there would be some people who would say, oh, let's do this differently. I've got a better plan. Surely that table would look better there. There's only one plan. No other gods, false gods plans. No other man's plans. Not your plan is going to work. Someone says, man's best plans are man's plans at best. Just man's plans. So why did God need a plan for his presence to be among his people? We kind of need to go back a little bit. Firstly, we need to ask, why has our union with God been broken? Why has presence been severed with God? And the bigger story is, of course, Adam and Eve disobeying God. And this is where sin and separation enters mankind. Genesis 2.17 says this, But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. And then the other chapters in Genesis, it kind of illustrates how that's come into mankind. It lists all the descendants of Adam. And it just lists all the people that have lived. And then it gives their name and their age that they died. I just noticed that the other day. It's just saying, you know, death was not meant to enter God's creation. But because of Adam's disobedience, death and separation came. And then all his descendants were under that. You can read all of the, his descendants and the, just the age of their death. We are Adam's descendants as well. So we've got this problem, we've been separated. And the issue is, God's throne is established on two things. You can read it in Psalm 89, 14, established on righteousness and justice. So both these things, both these pillars need to be as, uh, maintained in God's throne. And the presence of God is completely incorruptible. We cannot mar it one bit. And because we're descendants of Adam, we are sinners. And sinful man and the Holy God cannot live in union anymore. And that's why separation and death entered the world and God needed to come up with a plan. So where does this mercy seat fit in into his plan? The mercy seat, you can have a slide, you can go onto a couple of other slides. It was located in the most holy place, in the very centre of the tabernacle, and it's actually the golden covering, some versions will say cover. And it's the cover that goes over the Ark of the Covenant, which is like a chest 
which contained all the stones of tablet, uh, stones of tablet with uh, ten commandments on. So that's where God's testimony was, and there was two cherubim overarching. You can go on to the next one. Actually, I've got a point here. I found this point a bit late. If we go back one there, uh, I just want to use this. Go back one slide. You know, some found this. Didn't they? There we go. Oh, there it is. There. So it's through these curtains. This is the main entrance, and you come through. And the high priest would go in here, and that is where the ark of covenant is, and that is where the mercy seat sits. So, if we think about this chest, this golden chest with the Ten Commandments in, this is like kind of him establishing his law. This is like the Ten Commandments. This is, this is his righteousness, effectively, isn't it? This is what, what is right before God's eyes. And so, we can't come into that place because we've fallen short. We just probably need to glance at the Ten Commandments and you can have a look yourself. You should have no other gods. The people fail in that one. They made a calf and things, and they? golden calf. There's a whole list of things about coveting your neighbour, about their ox, about their Lamborghini. I'm sure many of us have fallen short in that area. So we cannot enter into this holy place. So this is his righteousness, this is, the, this is his throne which is establishing righteousness. But also, he establishes his justice as well. And he's got this desire to be amongst his people as we can see, he's made this plan. So in order to uphold justice, there needs to be punishment for people's sin. There needs to be punishment, and this is where what happens at the mercy seat. We need to appease the wrath of God. And so what happened is the high priest would uh, transfer the punishment that was due on the people to a goat or a lamb. And they would sacrifice that and then they would sprinkle the blood on the mercy seat to appease God. So this is what mercy is. It's Guilty people being let off without punishment. Guilty people, you and me, let off without punishment. But in order for justice to be fulfilled, someone needs to be punished. And that's where it went. It was transferred to an animal. And this is the wonderful thing. The blood of Jesus. He is our sacrificial lamb. We heard earlier from Marjorie it's his blood that was shed on the cross that was sprinkled liberally on this mercy seat. He was, only, he was the mercy seat, but it was also the sacrifice sprinkled, sprinkling his blood on the mercy seat. So where before the sacrifice had to be done routinely and regularly, because the sacrifice was imperfect, then comes along the perfect sacrifice in Jesus. And once and for all, he dealt with sin. And this is the good news. No longer do we need to follow rituals. 
but we can now wonderfully enjoy reconciliation and relationship through his blood. Mercy is so central to the Old Testament system and it continues to be the heart of the gospel today. And it continues to be the heart of where the presence of God is found. So the mercy seat is a place of mercy, love, communion, conviction, confession, redemption, validation, reconnection, and his divine abiding presence. Jesus also replaced Aaron as the high priest. He was the one who went into the inner room, into the Holy of Holies and the tabernacle. But now Jesus enters the sanctuary of heaven and has given us access to through his blood-drenched mercy seat we have access to. He's now enthroned in glory at the Father's right hand and we can reign there with him as well. Justice was fulfilled through our punishment being transferred to Jesus. And from there, mercy continues to flow towards us. Hebrews 9.12 says this, He entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. Hebrews 9.24, For Christ has entered not into a place, not into holy places made with hands, tabernacle, which occupies, which, which are copies of the true things, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. He's now pleading mercy for us on our behalf. When we had that game of mercy with my daughter, you probably thought, I didn't deserve that from my daughter. I may have done it. I want to tell you this. Jesus didn't deserve be pinned to the ground and for the nails to be driven through his body. That punishment should have been on us. I had a little bit of a picture this morning of almost this game of mercy Jesus having, like on the cross, or in, in the garden beforehand where he's pleading. There's any other way. There's any other way. There's any other way. He's like calling out mercy, mercy. And yet we read that it was the Lord's will to crush him. Son. 
So how are we going to respond to this? I mean, I've got, there's lots of different ways you can respond. But hopefully you've heard the gospel here this morning. There's opportunity for people here to respond and run to the mercy seat. So I'll just ask three questions and then um, we can uh, maybe sing a song. And maybe you can respond in different ways. I'll ask three questions, but there may be some other things which the Holy Spirit is talking to you about. I'm relying on His presence speaking to you, His Holy Spirit, which He gives to all of you to speak to you. So the first question, is the presence of God your most distinguishing feature? Do people say that about you? Are you aware of His presence? Are you camped a long way outside of a camp? Are you coming? You don't need to be anymore. You can come right into the Holy of Holies. Curtain's been torn. Is this your distinguishing feature? That you carry the presence of God. Secondly, how much is your journey or your destination shaped by the presence of God? Is it central to how you are led and guided through this life? Finally, are you following God's unique plan for His presence? There's only one plan, His presence. And hopefully you've been able to get a glimpse of that this morning. One perfect plan. There's only one way, no other plan will do. This is the plan, that Jesus is our mercy seat. Soaked with His blood, this is where we need to come with confidence. Let me read one more verse to you from Hebrews 4.16. It says this. I think we've got a slide for two actually. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace <coughs> that we may receive mercy and find grace to help time of need. We need his mercy, each and every one of us. Come with confidence because he has been the sacrificial man, so we can come with confidence now to him and find mercy.